I'm going to be talking about raising children in the prophetic. So um, we've been looking at this theme of, of the kingdom of God, and we've been looking most recently at kingdom culture. And this isn't really straying too far away, because we want to have the culture amongst us as a church where children grow in the prophetic, where children grow in the supernatural, uh, as well as adults. And we want to encourage them to be part of us, to participate with us. So, But we will be coming back to the main series next week, if you like. But I do want to take this brief aside, and uh, I just feel like this is something that's on God's heart at the moment. Children are really on God's heart. The children of Jubilee are on God's heart. And it comes partly out of a talk I gave last week at the Prophetic Forum in Bedford. But also, it comes out of a whole load of different conversations I've been having with parents around the church. And, um, and beyond that as well, actually. Uh, people all over the country are talking about stuff that's happening in families. Uh, encounters uh, that children particularly are having with God at the moment. So um, Becky Webb as well uh, has been speaking to me, saying she's going to do something similar at the end of the month, wants to talk about children in church, and so does Tom. So you just kind of feel like God's trying to say something to us that is good to listen to. We want to be led by the Spirit, not be tied to series, and not deviate if the Spirit of God leads us to. Now, I realize for some of you who don't have children, you're going to be thinking, well, how does this apply to me? Well, it does, because you were once a child too. And there's some stuff I'm going to say that is going to help some adults with their own childhood. I want to speak into some of those childhood experiences. But also, we are a church family. You know, the church is full of mums and dads, brothers and sisters. And there's a famous African proverb that says, it takes a whole village to raise a child. And in what I'm going to say today, I'm really talking to the village now. I want to raise the village that raises the child. Let's talk about the culture of what it means to be family together as church and to take that kind of responsibility. And we want to cultivate spirituality amongst us, but also so that it affects our children. So I want to start today with the calling of the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And the lovely Claire Smart is going to come and read this to us. So, Claire, would you read us 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 10? Okay. Um, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. 
So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Thanks, Claire. Let's just pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, would you just come and rest on us right now? Would you open up the kingdom of God to us in a fresh way right now? Lord, I pray for revelation to just drip through from heaven. As we talk about children, and we've talked already this morning about childlikeness. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to just come and drip your favor on us. Bring revelation and bring clarity to us through this message. In Jesus' name. Wow. Amen. Wow. Praise God. That's good. I think Jesus is very excited about this message. Um, and this, this was a, this was a, oh, dear me. It's happened last time I tried to bring this message. So. This story was around a time when Samuel was very young. He was just a boy. We don't know how young he was, but his mother Hannah had brought him to the temple to serve Eli just after he had started eating solid food. So somewhere between then and now, we don't know exactly his age, uh, but he was perhaps older than just after being weaned, but he wasn't much older. But look what Hannah had done. In obeying God, in offering up Samuel in this way, she had positioned Samuel for an encounter with God. And he had been positioned for this. And this was a time in church, if you like, where things were pretty dull, actually. It says that God's word was rare, and there were not many visions in verse 1 there. But there he was, Samuel was serving on the lamp rotor. You know, maybe the overhead projector is the nearest equivalent. No, sorry, <laughs> it's not really. But he was on the lamp rotor, and his job was to make sure that the lamp didn't go out. And although this wasn't a very exciting place for a young boy, it was a place where God could be found. It was a place where he could be taught and a place where God could be encountered. You see, his mother had set him up for an encounter. Any mums here? Wouldn't you love that? Setting your children up for an encounter with God. That's what we want, isn't it? Mums and dads. And this is very much why we want kids amongst us when we worship. And it's sometimes a bit of a handful, sometimes a bit rowdy, but we don't mind that. We don't mind if they make a bit of a noise. We don't mind if children don't seem to engage very much in our worship or with what's going on. But do you know you'd be surprised how much they do pick up? I know very often when our kids were small, they would, they would sort of sit on the floor drawing or just playing. Sam would bring the latest McDonald's toy to church and play on the floor there around our feet. But then later on, we'd hear them singing the songs that we'd been singing and asking questions which would show us how much they'd actually been listening. So I just want to, this is quite a practical talk today, and so I want to give you some tips for 
coping with having your children with you in worship. And so here's number one. Firstly, don't expect your kids to turn up on Sunday and just get worship. All right, It needs to be something that is part of your lifestyle together as a family. So have worship music on during the week. Sing along with it. Encourage them to do the same. And help them to get to know some of the songs, especially some of the songs that we sing. If you're playing that during the week, it helps the kids to just learn those worship songs. Secondly, talk to them before you come to the meeting about expectations. Now, quite often, those talks have been in the past. You better behave today or you're in big trouble. And I don't mean that kind of thing. Talk to them about expectations of, I wonder what we're going to hear from God today. I wonder if we're going to encounter God. What would it be like to encounter God, children? What do you think it would mean if if Jesus turned up today? I wonder what kind of pictures will be shared. And then thirdly, have a church bag. (laughs) You know, have a bag which the kids only get on a Sunday. And it's full of things that are just for church. It just helps them to understand what's going on. So a notebook for prophetic pictures. So they can draw or colour things that they might feel God inspires them in during the worship. I mean, it's it's changed a bit over the years. It used to be a notebook for us. Now it's Sam's Kindle. So he'll often sit there drawing pictures that he feels that God is giving him during the worship. Um, Have a a Bible that is just for church, one that's a bit special that they, they get to read during church. So have a church bag, have some snacks in that bag as well just to help the service along. And then during uh, the meeting, talk to them about what's going on. You know, you think, well, they should just sit there and behave. No, I don't think so. I think we should actually talk to them about what's going on. Why do you think they prayed that? What, what was that prayer about, or what was that prophetic word about, do you think? Start to use some of the language of them. Obviously, it's got to be age-appropriate, but you'd be amazed how young you can start with just picking up on the pictures of church that they are experiencing at that time. Talk to them about what they're feeling as well during the worship. Um, and we, I mean, we don't do this now because our kids are a bit older, but we would sit down with them sometimes during the worship, just put our arms around them, give them a hug, and just talk to them about what's going on and what they're feeling and what they think God might be saying to them. And then involve them in worship. So it isn't just for the adults. I mean, we try to make that really clear uh, as a team that this isn't just for the adults Worship is for the children as well. So it's fine if they bring instruments that don't play quite in rhythm, uh, as long as they don't start hitting one another with it and that kind of thing. But find ways of engaging them in worship. And then something that actually we found really important is reviewing the meeting afterwards. Now, that sounds very adult and grown up, but you obviously have to start at a particular level, but review the meeting afterwards. Talk about the worship. How, what did you learn in kids' work today? Uh, and muzzle positive, faith-filled reviewing yourself. You know, when you sit around for your meal later on, just sit around and talk about the meeting and what God did. And, you know, God really spoke to me this morning. It was amazing. Did you hear this? And so-and-so said this and that. And what a great time it was. Just start to model those positive experiences to help them to understand that it's okay for them to talk about what they've experienced. And sometimes it isn't always positive. So-and-so hit me or whatever. But you can still talk about 
the time together and the meeting of the church and help them to understand that this is part of what we do together as a family. So there's just some practical tips. I hope those help. Well, Samuel's first encounter with God was a voice in the night. It says, you know, that one night as Samuel is on his way to bed, he, he heard a voice calling his name out, Samuel. And he thought it was Eli, the priest's voice. So he said, here I am, you called me, running to the priest. I didn't call you, Eli said, go back to bed. And this happens two more times until finally Eli realizes that this is the rare voice of God calling him. You've got to understand that this was incredibly rare in those days, that God would actually call out like that, and God chose to speak to a child. But it was incredibly rare. And it might even be rare in your experience. Some of the things that the children experience may be rare to you, or you've never experienced them. But Eli fortunately knew what to say, knew how to respond, and he says, if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And the reason Eli has to do this, and this just came as a a new revelation to me. I've read this story so many times, but I'd never seen verse 7 before. Because this is the reason why Eli says what he says. It's because Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. See, all that Samuel hears is a voice in the night. He didn't know that it was the Lord's voice, even though he'd been around Eli. He'd been serving in the temple. Perhaps, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, it may have been up to 12 years. We don't know. He may have been around 12 years of age at this time. He even slept in the temple. He slept next to the ark of God. He knew all of the the aspects of the service, if you like. But the voice of God was unknown to him. He didn't know it. He didn't recognize it. You know, if you like, this was a Christian home. (laughs) This was a Christian family, but it says he didn't know the Lord yet because there had been no revelation. And you know, for some of our children, it's the same. They don't know the Lord yet. There hasn't been a revelation of God. We mustn't assume. But there comes a day, I, I, I trust for all of the children here, There will come a day when an explanation is needed. And in my experience, it's often late at night. And you think, they're just trying to stall going to bed. (laughs) Go with it. You don't know when you're going to have that opportunity again. And so often it is just at that point of just about to go to sleep, there's a revelation that's needed. Sit with them, talk it through with them. Don't worry about a late night. This is more important. But something needed to happen for Samuel. I really want you to understand that. Something needed to happen for him to be able to discern that this was the voice of God. Otherwise, he was just hearing voices in the night. I mean, can you think about how scary it must have been? You know, we read this story and we're so, we're so familiar with it that we, we lose the shock of what that must have been like. Voices speaking his name in the middle of the night. I wonder what it sounded like. Was it Samuel? Was it Samuel? I don't know. But a voice in the night 
It could have been nothing more than one of those scary encounters that children have. You know, I don't know about you or your children, but I can really relate to this. Because, and you will have heard, some of you will have heard bits of my story before, but from the age of four, I began to have spiritual experiences. And it was usually at the night time. Why is it always night time these things happen? But it was usually at night, and it started at a time that I was very ill, and when I thought I was going to die. I started to see things, I started to feel things, I started to hear things, and they weren't always pleasant things that I experienced at that time. But one night during this time, I got up in the middle of the night, and uh, I had to use the bathroom, And on my way back to bed, I got frightened and disorientated, and for some reason I couldn't find my way. And I was really quite upset, it was pitch black, and this is so vivid to me even now. (laughs) A man suddenly appeared in my bedroom, because obviously I'd managed to find my way through to the bedroom, I hadn't realised where I was, and a very kind man came and helped me and found me and took me back to my bed, took me into bed and held me while I slept, when I went to sleep. And apparently, speaking to my mum and dad about this, when I woke up the next morning, I said, Jesus was in my bedroom last night. And I said, really? And none of, neither of them had been up in the night with me. I now believe that that was an angel. But to me, that was a revelation of Jesus in my life. And I've got to say, that was a very vivid encounter, and even now the impact of it is clear in my mind. But from an early age, I began to have these kind of spiritual experiences, spiritual experiences I didn't understand. And often there were things that frightened me. They were like the voices in the night. And my parents did their best to reassure me, but the things of the Spirit were new to them as well. This was in the time of the moving of the Spirit in the 1970s, and... I really am that old, I know I don't look it, but in that time, they weren't really clued up on what was going on in terms of spiritual stuff. They just got filled with the Spirit, baptised in the Spirit, speaking in tongues, that kind of thing. And there wasn't anybody that could help us either. And so as a result of this, I became very fearful and I tried to shut out what was happening. I tried to close it down. I tried to close down what was going on in my life. And I struggled for a long time between that sort of age till my early teens when I got filled with the Spirit because nobody thought to tell me I needed to get filled with the Spirit. (laughs) They just assumed because I was growing up in a Christian home, I knew all this stuff. And then somebody said to me, you know, you need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I said, Holy Spirit, will you please fill me? I was about 13 years of age. And for the first time in my life, I felt deep inner peace and I wasn't afraid anymore. That's my testimony of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And even now, if I'm beginning to get out of peace, it's a sign to me that I need to come back and say, Lord, would you just fill me with the Spirit? Sorry, I just went off a bit. (laughs) Just felt like somebody would be encouraged by that. But, you know, I was raised in a Christian home, the church met in our house, and often we'd go to sleep at night listening to people singing worship songs. It was great. It was a great atmosphere. And we saw some amazing miracles in that time. But I still didn't understand what was going on in me. And because of it, fear got hold of me. 
We've been talking about fear and the worship today. I think God wants to speak to us about that. And the reason I say all this is because actually childhood or new Christianhood even can be a very vulnerable time in our lives. It's a time when the enemy can get in and hijack the purposes of God. And so every child needs an Eli in their life, a person of wisdom who can speak wisdom into their lives, especially in this whole area of the supernatural. And I think it's important to talk about this today, not just because of our children, but for some of you adults too. You know, I know from praying with people and talking to people, that some of the fear issues that we have in our lives go back to those early experiences. Things that happened to us at that time where the enemy tries to hijack stuff. Purposes of God in our lives. I believe there's some healing for some people and some freedom for you for that. But it's also important for the sake of some of our children today Because from what I know of my own children, and for many that are in Jubilee, because I get lots of stories back, many of our children are picking up on an increased spiritual activity that is occurring in our country at the moment. I mean, you do know that there's a move of the Spirit going on, don't you? You do know that, don't you? And I believe that this move of the Spirit that we're in now, and I'm not just hoping for revival one day, some amazing things are happening. And I believe that the move of the Spirit that we're going to see is going to be far greater than anything we knew in the 70s or the 90s. I believe there's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit like we've never known before. And some of our children are picking up on it. (laughs) Did you know that? Spend time with a child. And there's a lot to do with this spiritualization of our culture. And I've talked about this uh, several times before. But, you know, people, especially those who are younger, are more spiritually aware than we were, some of us, years ago. Much more spiritually aware, much more open to spiritual things. You know, in the past, it seems that we had to teach people so that they could then experience the things of the Spirit. So we'd have these teaching sessions on spiritual gifts or how to receive the Holy Spirit, and then people would just begin to experience once they'd had the teaching. It's turned around, (laughs) because actually what's happening is people are having spiritual experiences, and we actually need to teach them after the event. I mean, it was great to hear Andrew's testimony just a few weeks ago, how... Really, he came to God because of an encounter with God. And then it wasn't many weeks later when he got filled with the Holy Spirit and we had to explain to him what had just happened in the worship. It's the other way around from what it used to be for many of us. And guys, if we're not with it, (laughs) if we don't understand what God is doing, and you find there's such an openness amongst people, especially younger people out on the streets right now. So I just posted this week... Uh, this this article about spiritual readings that they're doing from uh, King's Arms down in Bedford. And it, you say, spiritual readings? That doesn't sound right. When you read into it, you find that people are queuing up to be prophesied over, to hear what God has for them in their lives. I mean, when have you ever heard of that? Something's happening. Oh, it's okay to get excited. <laughs> 
Something's happening. And I say this at a time when, and I, I don't think this is insignificant, I say this at a time when some churches, even from our own movement, are dialing down on the gifts of the Spirit. You know, they're putting back more structure into worship. They're moving away from preaching and teaching to lecturing and video presentations because they want to try and fit in more with our culture. And you just think, well, which culture are you thinking about? I think it may be more to do with the culture of Christians who've been around for a bit. Say that. Throw it out there. I'm going to cause controversy. But, you know, we need many Eli's amongst us in this time. We need people who have maturity and experience of God, who are able to teach not just Bible stories, but also about spiritual things. People that have actually been somewhere with God and experienced things of God. We need those kind of people around us in our church family at the moment. But we also need to be like that as parents, And uh, I want to just go through a list now of things that we have learned, Alison and I, about raising children and the prophetic and this whole supernatural aspect. I hope it really encourages you and helps you. Obviously, your experiences are going to be different. And I also say this applies to people that are becoming Christians as well. You'll see that as we go along, because many people that are becoming Christians are becoming Christians as a result of spiritual encounters that they are having. So here we go. The first one is... Don't dismiss what they experience. When they come to you and say something, so-and-so, this, and it sounds really weird and freaky, don't just dismiss it. Don't belittle it, and don't be unbelieving. I was told as a young child, which actually made it worse for me, (laughs) oh, you've just got an overactive imagination. So I thought, well, it's me. It's my fault. I'm making this weird stuff happen to myself. Don't say that to a child. Don't say it's an overactive imagination. It's your fault. Engage with them and use these experiences as teaching opportunities. Now, our, our youngest particularly had significant... He's, he's always been very sensitive to the, to, to the spirit. And uh, he struggled a lot when he was a child with bad dreams and seeing things, experiencing things. And so what I would do is, when I would go to put him to bed at night, we would have these amazing superhero version stories of the Bible. We talk about Jesus as the superhero. We talk about how powerful he was and how big God was. One of Sam's favorite stories was about God's great trick that he played on the devil. God thought that he killed Jesus. He was so excited. He was dancing around. He was swaggering around. I am the winner. I am the winner. And he was going around for three days. And then on the third day, there was a rumble. And the whole place shook. And the devil was so angry because Jesus rose from the dead. We need these kind of stories, these kind of versions of stories that really get to the heart of what our children need to hear. Our God is powerful. He is extraordinary. He is superman beyond any superman. So if you've got fear of the devil in your heart, you need to get that sorted so you can teach your children about how powerful God is and how big God is. Amen? Amen. 
You know, the root of fears for so many is the unknown. <laughs> you do realize that, do you? you know, if you're not scared, if you know about something, you don't tend to be scared of it. You tend to be scared of stuff you don't know or understand. So some of us need to make these things known and then we're not scared of it. Then our children aren't scared of it. You know, the stories of Jesus' victory over the enemy, your own stories, of family, of family breakthrough, stories of breakthrough and healing. Or if you haven't got your own, nick some from somebody else, another family in the church, or something you read on the internet. Use it. We would often show our children YouTube clips of miracles. One of the most outstanding things, outstanding opportunities we had was when Terry Virgo came on his Grace Conference. And uh, after the meeting, he spent like two hours just praying for the sick. And I said to Terry, do you mind if me and the kids just tag around and watch? And so I think it's Becky was just stood there for two and a half hours and watched legs grow. <laughs> it did something in her. It gave her something. There is something out there. <laughs> There's a powerful God who grows legs. <laughs> So develop storytelling. Children love stories, especially about heroes. There used to be a song that we used to sing. Jesus is greater than the greatest hero. Nobody knows it? <laughs> you should get that song. It's great. We used to sing it together as a kind of na-na-na-na-na. Do you know that the hardest thing that the enemy struggles with is mockery? He cannot cope with mockery. Teach your children how to be powerful in God. Secondly, make spiritual things part of your family conversation. You know, normalize the supernatural. And one of the ways, we've, we've done this several ways really, but one of the ways that we've continually done it from the youngest age is talk about what did you dream last night. So we'd have these conversations regularly. Most mornings we'd ask at breakfast, so who had a dream last night then? What do you think that was about? Do you think God was speaking to you at all? And we try out dream interpretation. We're new to ourselves, really. But we would try it out. I wonder if it means this, or I wonder if it means that. And then, no, as the, ch- as we've, as the children have got older, I was going to say, as we've got older, but we have too. But as the children have got older, they now interpret our dreams for us. Oh, I think God might be saying that to you. And so often, some of those dreams, some of them have just been fantasies. (laughs) But others of them have been God speaking to us as a family. And the other thing is, we we always say, um, what do you think God is saying to us at the moment? Could you pray? We're we're having to make these decisions, kids. Could you pray and then come back and let us know? Normalize spiritual things. We've always tried to be really open as well, to live quite openly and let them see us work through our, see God working through our lives. Now that means that you don't pretend that everything's all together all the time. Don't ask our kids, but they could tell you some stuff, you know. We've not always got it all together all the time. <laughs> but we want them to see that. We want them to know things aren't quite right at the moment. We're a bit upset about some stuff, or there's some stuff we're working through, or there's some stuff that God needs to do in my life at the moment. And ask them to pray for you. How about that? Share prayer issues with them to build their faith. 
money issues are a very good and powerful way of helping your children to see God visibly and tangibly answer prayer. Um, we've had we've got so many of these stories. We had a bit of a catch up in the car the other day, and there were so many stories. But I've just picked a few. Um, one of the earliest ones I can remember is when Sam was I don't know he may have been about four four or five, and we'd just gone to a, a Beaumaris Castle, was it? And uh, and you get to that dreaded part of the trip, which is the gift shop, you know. You've done this great tour, and it was free because it was National Trust, and you think you got away with it, and then there's the gift shop, and then you get the pester power, you know. But what Sam wanted more than anything, what he'd been craving for so long, was a sword. That's what he wanted. He wanted a sword, and he didn't want a cheap and plastic one. He wanted one of those National Trust, really expensive, beautifully carved ones. He said, no, no, no way. You're not having a sword. It's too expensive. Blah blah blah. And in the end, what I said, I said, Sam, if you really want a sword, I thought, oh, I got it. I got it. This is it. This is it. This is good parenting. I said, if you really want a sword. Ask Jesus for it. Yes, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I thought I really got it. I thought that was sus. Anyway, two d- days later, we're going for a walk on the beach. And Sam goes over the, the sand dunes and he comes back waving this beautiful wooden sword. He said, Jesus gave me my sword, Dad. Look. <laughs> and what could I do? I mean, I couldn't take it away from him, could I, after that? I remember uh, a bit later on, it was uh, probably around the same time, maybe a bit further on, Becky needed a new computer. And at that time, we sort of move in house and, you know, how it gets sometimes. And we said, well, Becky, if you need a computer, you're going to have to ask Jesus for it because we don't have one. Don't have the money to buy one at the moment. And it was only about a week later, somebody gave her a a virtually brand new laptop, top of the range, better than my computer. But these stories, they build faith and they help our children to know that God is real, not to make them materialistic, I trust, but actually to know that God really cares about their needs and the needs of us as a family. There are so many other stories I could share with you about that, but I just want to encourage you to to be open with them. Let them know about your needs. Help them to build faith with you. And also, don't shield them too much from disappointment. That's a funny thing, isn't it? Don't shield them too much from disappointment. Let them encourage you. Uh, Let them hear from God for you. We went through a difficult time a few years ago, and uh, we were in the process of moving house, and everything had gone wrong. And we were about £6,000 short on what we needed to be able to actually move house. And we were praying together, we were praying together as a family and, and nothing seemed to be working out. And then Sam woke up one morning and said, Jesus had spoken to him in the night. And Jesus said, Dad, the money will come, but it will come at the last minute. Trust him. That was the word he heard. And as soon as he said, I just knew it was the word of God. And uh, sure enough, the day that we exchanged contracts, or the day before we exchanged contracts, sorry, the money was given to us out of the blue. £6,000 just out of the blue like that. Absolutely incredible how God did that. But use your, you, encourage your children to be part of those kinds of conversations. Thirdly, teach them about who they are in Christ. Powerful, fearless conquerors. 
Um, childhood is a time full of new experiences, some good, some not so good. But what about if our children knew at their age the Father's heart teaching? What about that? We, some of us have only just learnt it the last five, ten years. What about if they knew it growing up? Um, what if they experienced it through you? Unconditional love and acceptance. What, what about if you were able to model the Father's heart to them? What if they understood identity now, before they faced the teenage years, before they did exams, that it's not about performance, that success is measured in a very different kingdom way? How would that affect their lives and the way that they viewed and experienced the world? What if they got identity now? What if our kids were raised in an atmosphere of encouragement And they were encouraged to be confident in God. There's a whole lot of nonsense just been written in a survey that's just come out that you can encourage children too much. That's just a load of rubbish. I'll tell you what is true, though. If you don't encourage them genuinely, if you just make it up and there's nothing to actually encourage them about, or if you only encourage them about what they've done and not who they are, then I probably would agree with some aspects of that survey. But you can't encourage somebody too much. What if our kids were raised in an atmosphere of fearlessness and encouragement? I love this photograph here. Look at that. (laughs) Do you know, that's a fearless young man, isn't it? He said, what does he say in his testimony? I'm an unstoppable believer. And he really was. He, he dived head first into that baptism pool. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I like Simon's face there, particularly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know, I personally make it my aim to find ways to encourage my kids every day about who they are and to express love to them. I encourage you to do the same. Even if it's not part of your love language, find something to encourage them about. Too easily we criticise when they've done wrong and we don't notice when they've done right. That's an atmosphere of the prophetic right there. Encouragement. Fourthly, pray protection for your household and specifically your children. Do this with them, not just when they're in bed, Fearfully, please God, not tonight. We don't want any bad dreams or anything like that. No, do it with them and teach them how to pray. Equip them in prayer. Don't do it fearfully or superstitiously. Do you know what I mean by that? Oh, if we don't pray to pray tonight, it's going to happen. Don't do that. That's just a lie of the evil one. Don't do it superstitiously or fearfully. And pray about things that matter to them. You know, like school issues. How many times we just pray about school issues and see God break through? Pray around the house. Get your kids to go around with you. Let's pray around the house. Let's stomp around the house now and just put some angels up and put them near the windows and let's have some fun about it. Let's praise Jesus in this house. Get them doing it with you. Let's let's ask God to fill this house with angels. Positive, powerful prayers. We've got loads of angel stories. And children. 
There's one of our children, not one of our, my children, one of the Jubilee children who was in his bedroom a little while ago and a dark figure came in and he knew it was a demonic power and it had come to hurt him and it had come to make him afraid. He's only eight years old and he was standing there. And as he was standing there wondering what to do about it, he said suddenly an angel came and stood in the room next to him, really, really vivid, standing next to him. And this angel, he said, he looked at him and he had a really serious look on his face. But he, and the look was as if to say, don't worry, I've got this. And pulled out his trident. <laughs> and with this trident, he described it as a rake, but we know what he means. With this trident he ejected this dark thing out of the room and it went like that or something like that i love that don't you love that isn't that great we've had lots of sightings of angels in our house um somebody was walking past our house on one occasion and he said as he walked past he could see uh, a 12 foot angel standing on our drive and it was standing there with a sword on guard he said, did you know you had an angel? I said, no, I didn't. But then a little while later, we, uh, somebody came to us for some help, and they were severely demonized, actually, and um, needed to be set free. They couldn't walk into our house because they couldn't go past the angel. I had to actually go out and help them in. These things are real. And then they got set free. Um, when the children were quite young and we were trying to work out what age they were we can't quite work it out but they were very young, both of them and it was at that time when you know, the children woke you up early every morning you know, and you're up at six every morning you know. then there comes that blessed time when they actually managed to find the on button of the TV so you get an extra hour or something but it wasn't, it was sort of a bit before that time uh, but for some reason, we woke up one Saturday morning at nine o'clock, and you think, "Oh my goodness, what's happened? They've died. Something awful has happened." You know, and just lying there thinking. And I, and I was saying to Alison, "It's all right. Don't worry. It'll be fine. Let's just have a bit more time." No, no. The funny thing is, and the kids won't have known this, but the night before, I'd gone to bed, and as I was lying down, I knew that there was an angel standing right next to me. So I put my hand out like that, and I could feel the power of God. Pull my hand back in, and I couldn't feel it. Put my hand out. I was just going like this. Oh, this is amazing. I was lying there, and and Alison didn't believe me. Uh, She did believe me, but she just went to sleep anyway. So, yeah. So I was doing this for quite a bit of the night. Oh, that's really amazing. Oh, like that. And uh, so that had been how I'd gone to bed. Anyway, the children finally came into us. It was gone nine o'clock. In fact, no, did I go and I went to find out what on earth was going on. They were both sat there worshipping. And uh, Becky had oil all over her hands and like flakes of something that I don't understand, like feathers just pouring off her hands. Sam was uh, just covered in gold dust on his face. And uh, they said that there'd been an angel. They'd heard the angel singing all night. And they'd got up and they were just worshipping Jesus with this angel that was sat just there, which I couldn't see. But they could and described it exactly. And then they came into our room and they were both so full of the Holy Spirit, we couldn't stop them from prophesying over us for a long time. Have you ever seen children argue over whose turn it was to prophesy next? That's really what was happening in our house. And oftentimes, uh, our children have seen and encountered and experienced the angelic in our house 
but also in our meetings. And as many of our children, the Jubilee children, are talking about seeing and experiencing angels. It's not amazing. Is it okay to share this stuff with you? Pray around the house and ask God to surround the place with angels so that people even encounter them when they come to your house. And kids workers, I just want to say something to you. If you do kids work, now by the end of this talk you're all going to be desperate to do kids work, I trust. But I just want to say there is nothing more prophetic than working with children because they are the future. If you claim to be prophetic and don't want to work with children, there's something not quite right. (laughs) There's nothing more prophetic than working with children and investing in them. They literally are the future. And I think prophetic people in particular need to be involved in training and discipling children. I love kids. You know me. I'm a big soppy dad kind of person. Anytime there's a baby, I want to hug them and bless them and pray for them. That's what it should be. If you're prophetic, you care about the future. Amen? I threw that in for free. (laughs) And people working with new believers, all that I've just said applies. It's the same stuff. So what about when problems still persist? I'm going to come to an end shortly. What about when problems still persist? What about when kids are still fearful, they're still waking in the night, and the bad dreams don't stop. I just want to briefly cover that uh, before we close. Well, there's uh, four things I want to say about that. Firstly, there's something called age and stage. And, uh, you know, there's this so-called night terrors. There's psychological, stroke emotional issues. And often children just grow out of this stuff. It's just a phase that they're going through. It's to do with a, a greater awareness of the world around them, new experiences that kind of get into their psychology. And at that time, we just need to give it time and don't panic. You know, because as a parent, you automatically want to shield them and protect them from anything and everything, but you can't. They've actually got to work through this. And we need to give reassurance and stay peaceful ourselves because that's one of the biggest lessons we've learned is if we're peaceful, our kids tend to be peaceful. If you're frightened, they tend to get frightened and magnify it somehow. Okay, so get peaceful and stay peaceful yourself. Secondly, there's something about temperament as well. Uh, Children are different temperamentally just like we are. And uh, my brother, for example, he is the consummate sleepwalker, talker, he does exploits in his sleep. He is amazing. On one occasion, he got up at three o'clock in the morning, got fully dressed. He uh, went downstairs, brushed his teeth, put his contact lenses in, made his sandwiches. Halfway through making his sandwiches and boiling the kettle and putting the toast on, he had to return to bed for some reason that none of us understand lay on his bed, fully clothed, woke up with his contact lenses still in his eyes. And none of us can still quite grasp how he managed to do that. He was so angry that nobody had woken him up and told him what he'd done. But he's always done it. It's just weird. Uh, I used to be able to get all sorts of secrets out of him during those times. I could get in on his dreams and manipulate things. It's not good, it's not good, I've just confessed it. 
He still hasn't forgiven me for telling the girl that he really liked what he'd said about her. <laughs> but yes. Um, but then it can be more sinister. We've got another friend who was having these kind of nightmare kind of sleepwalking things. And there was actually an area of uh, deliverance that was needed, especially when he started to grow violent in his sleep. And we were able to pray for him and see some breakthrough there for him. So there's temperament. And then thirdly, there's medical issues or mental health issues. And it's good to see the doctor and just get checked out. Uh, For a period of time, our Becky was having some strange visitations in the night. And she would it was actually quite funny. She'd sleepwalk and she'd play games like Monopoly. She'd come down and ask for the next Monopoly piece. And it was just bizarre, the stuff that she's saying. We started to get really freaked out by this. We realised it was actually the medication that she was on at the time that was making her behave that way. So there can be medical issues. But even with medical issues, we can pray for healing, can't we? So we can do that. And then finally, there's spiritual interference. Uh, When all else fails, it's worth looking at that. Uh, Spiritual issues, there's hereditary issues that can be passed down. And there can be sin issues in, in our lives. And it's one of the things we've learned is that if I am involved in some kind of sinful behavior, it somehow affects my children. If there's unconfessed sin, it opens a door. Be careful what you open the door for in your household. Be careful what you get involved in. It will affect your children. I'm not saying that just to scare you. It's reality. <laughs> All right, so you walk right with God. You walk in faith with God. You're peaceful in your heart. Your children will be safe. They'll be blessed. They'll be encouraged. If you're out of peace, if you're doing sinful stuff and you're getting into different things, it will affect them as well. So that's just something. And uh, just say particularly for, you, for men, you know, be careful what you look at on the computer. It will affect things in your family. You will pass things on and live in the fear of God on these things, even for the sake of your children. And there are frontline issues as well as you step out. We've found often that as we've stepped up to, to serve God in, in a greater way that often there'll be a whack back against the family. We've just learned how to pray about that, not to be fearful. But one of the greatest breakthroughs we had was when, when I said... God, I don't care what the enemy does, I'm still doing it. And then it all stopped, all the hassle. <laughs> and sometimes it's that kind of attitude. Okay, so there you go, that's the list. Now let me just conclude that raising children, the prophetic, is about teaching children how to encounter God, how to feel his presence, hear from him, and see what he's doing. Starts. It starts with giving them an understanding of God. Just make sure that we explain him, that they have the opportunity for revelation. And it starts in the home, but it translates into church through the example and inspiration of others. And this is a lot to do with the culture that we're growing, one of family together, where we can be mums and dads and brothers and sisters for one another and for one another's children too. Let's be good examples in the way that we worship. You know, it's great to look at the kids and say, oh, that's sweet, but actually that's degrading who they are. Let's get in there and dance with them too. And when they bring a prophetic word, don't think, oh, that was sweet. It's probably the word of God. Remember Samuel? After his encounter with God, God gave him a word that made him tremble 
and that Eli took very, very seriously. Read the rest of the story. He was only, you know, what age? Eight to 12 years old. And he brought one of the most world-changing prophetic words to that family. That's what we want, isn't it?